With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You're listening to The Dialogue with Dewey de Boer. I've got Marcus here. He's a young co-founder of the Zelandia Heritage Foundation. There are a group of young people dedicated to preserving the past, present, and future of New Zealand's cultural artifacts. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Uh, thank you, Dewey, for having me on. So, yeah, my name is Marcus. I'm basically the graphic designer for Zelandia Heritage Foundation. Many of the the work we've done with the Island Heritage Foundation, mostly graphic work, that's the stuff that I do. Uh, I make content and I I write articles. You might also know me from my Twitter account with the handle at Boogie38. It's a bit of a silly name, uh, but that's what we're running with. And <laughs> um, yeah, so... You're a um, young guy and... I remember being sort of your age, getting into a little bit of politics, uh, you know, trying to organize things. And I went on the radio to, uh, it was with Leighton Smith uh, at the time, and he was on News Talk ZB, and I did an interview with him. I, if I look back at that interview now, over 10 years later, it was, I probably would die of cringe uh, listening to it. So yeah, I encourage you that you're making a good start here. The work that I've seen from you on social media, the graphics, you know, the graphics that you've done uh, promoting some of New Zealand's heritage uh, is really great. So you, at least it's great looking work. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm 18. It's uh, it's a pretty young start right now, but um, I'm going to hit the ground running with this, hopefully. So about over one year ago, I met some people online with very similar kind of patriotism for New Zealand and not just New Zealand as it is now, but as it was. That's basically New Zealand's old culture and old heritage stuff. We like to dig around in archives and and get get the stuff in the archives. And it's nice having that for ourselves, but I think it's it's important to to share it with other New Zealanders as well, because what we were noticing was a, I suppose, a lack of representation, but a lot of a lack of cultural unity in New Zealand. Because I don't think many European New Zealanders know know who they are or where they come from. So one year ago, with with my friend NZ Appreciator on Twitter, we started plotting out a plan for the Zelandia Heritage Foundation. And it took a very long time. We, we went back on a lot of things and we changed a lot of things up. But at the start of this year, we, we started the account on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook and Telegram. And it's been about two months now since we released it. The, the Twitter account has gone from, of course, zero to 400 we're almost 400 now. Uh, so we've seen massive growth in that. And that's just us posting, uh, it's posting graphics of poetry and of music of New Zealand creators, but not just from recent times, but from, you know, the 1800s and stuff. This is a lot of the stuff that doesn't actually get publicly produced and given to an audience of people who are looking for 
New Zealand heritage. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely, I can say that a lot of what I've seen you guys dig up is stuff that I haven't seen before, and I like I like digging around as well. So it, the the job that you're doing on that front is really awesome. Yeah, well, it's definitely a, a huge hobby for for us, uh, me and the me and the the I suppose the chairman of our organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of it's a bit interesting as well. Some some wild stuff back in there when you dig back through history. It's always things that wouldn't be said today definitely no definitely not i mean there look there has been cases in the zelandia heritage foundation where i've been talking to to the chairman he says look we've found this we found this this heritage product here and oh, it's, it's very nice but it is very very um it's not pc at all and there is actually there, there actually are issues where some of the things people say in poetry oh so long ago actually can't be produced or, or published on places like Twitter, even though Twitter, for example, has has loosened up a little bit. So we do uh, we do we do have to tiptoe around, but we do have those um, we do have the hard stuff as well. And you've got some interesting articles up on your Substack as well. I saw an interesting post about the origin of New Zealand's regional holidays, which was really good. I didn't even know. Now, why do we celebrate Auckland Day, for instance, here in Auckland or people in Wellington celebrating Wellington? I I think there's a Wellington Day and so on, Canterbury. Many of these regional holidays, I had no idea why why I was celebrating Auckland Day until I saw that post on your Substack that it was related to William Hobson actually landing here. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, you know, these days, we. I think there's so many, there's so many regional days in New Zealand that that they don't have. Um, we haven't kept up the the traditions and norms associated with them. We don't. We're all, we're almost not encouraged to to do so much. If if it's a regional holiday, maybe it's an excuse to not go to work. It's a, it's a day off essentially, and you might use that to go to the pub or whatever. But what we do want to see is. We want to see people embracing these days and and celebrating the the regions on these days as well. I'm I'm not I'm not always perfect with that, but I did make an attempt this year on uh, on Wellington Day, and we produced a a poem for that to publish. So you know, it's like we do post New Zealand heritage and and cultural artifacts, but we do the the past, present, and future of that as well. So it's good to. It's good to make culture instead of uh, instead of just relying on what has been done. Excellent, and that's one of the the three key parts of my show. One of the reasons why we started the dialogue here on RCR was to talk about culture in that way as well. That now, what was culture in the past and how are we creating culture moving forward? So it's great to hear you guys focusing on that. And a question that probably has come to the minds of many listeners is, of course, like what what or who is Zealandia? Why not just New Zealand? I was surprised to know to find out that people don't actually know who and what Zealandia means. So I'd like you to give some explanation to the audience for that. Yeah, it's not a common thing to talk about, but I suppose one of the things that I'd like to mention first off, and uh, my my chairman would say this a few times, NZ Appreciator would say this, New Zealand is is quite a unique name and it's actually a very prophetic name because Abel Tasman, he came to to New Zealand and he named New Zealand. And of course, it's an it's an island in the middle of not not the middle of the Pacific Sea, but it's next to the 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 Pacific Ocean, and it, it's it's such a vast ocean. And we're 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 right in that 
just in the ocean there. So so obviously yeah, there's New Zealand. And so that's that's pretty it's on the nose there. It's pretty obvious, but but what he mentioned to me was that New Zealand is quite a, a prophetic name because you know, so long ago, New Zealand obvious. 2020 comes along, scientists are coming out and they're saying, hey, there's actually an eighth continent and uh, we, we call this continent Zealandia. And it, it, it is prophetic because we're right there in the sea, but there's, there's land underneath the sea. We are, we are the eighth continent. And so yes. that's a very unique thing. That's quite cool. Like we're almost like the the mountain range on top of this giant continent that's sunk, yeah, exactly. sunk beneath you. We are we're Atlantis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we're hoping for a reverse climate change. Where yeah. uh, <laughs> we can then we'll we'll expand the boundaries of New Zealand yeah. for sure. Yeah, things would change a lot from there. But that that's uh, that's one thing to mention just there. But I suppose if you searched up Zealandia. The first thing that would come to you is the the eighth continent, but the the things that came before that, Zealandia as the personification of New Zealand. Many of you will probably be familiar with the idea of Britannia as the personification of Britain, and Zealandia's relationship with Britannia is that it's the daughter of of Britannia, and uh, we we have this personification of. Of New Zealand is Zealandia, and so long ago, you know, in the 18th century, or sorry, the the 19th century, this was played on quite a lot. We had um, the first national anthem of New Zealand was actually called "All Hail Zealandia," and we do we do have a few recordings of that in in some places, but it, I don't think that it's ever been done or commissioned by the government, but I think it should be commissioned by the government in a way because it was our first national anthem and it hasn't been done like truly professionally with all the right bells and whistles there. It, there's a there's a future project for you then. You know, I'll see if I can find yeah. a decent recording for the show. I'll play it for the audience later if we get the chance. But yeah, if there is no good modern recording, it's going to have to be done by someone. Exactly. You know, it definitely has to be done, but it, it yeah. does take a lot of money. And one of the, the, the way, I mean, people actually see Zealandia, the personification of New Zealand, quite often. You know, where is she used? Where does she appear in, in even modern New Zealand society? Well, I think you can actually find her very often. And I suppose the, the most common one is just on our coat of arms. We have Zealandia standing next to the tribal chief and you know there'll be designs of of some woman in a in a white in a white robe and you'll think oh who's this woman you don't know that woman because she's not been introduced to you yet her name is Zealandia and it's a it's a very old new zealand tradition of of having this woman there and she does have a name it's not just some generic woman and she looks like someone in the in the 20th century there was a switch. So there are two different looks for Zealandia, right? Can you tell us a little bit about the story behind that? I don't think I can. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, here's my chance to shine then. Right. Um, the original Zealandia actually had uh, was a redhead. She had red hair. and But then in the 1940s or 50s, the coat of arms was actually redesigned and mm. The reason it was redesigned is that the prime minister at the time, I think it was Peter Fraser, he wasn't happy with how Zealandia looked too Soviet. She looked a little bit too much like those Soviet posters of these uh, Soviet women. 
and he wanted her redesigned to look more graceful. So they redesigned her and modeled after Grace Kelly. And uh, Grace Kelly was an American actress and the princess consort of Monaco, so from the early early 20th century. So that was, she was, I guess, a popular actress at the time. I'd never really heard of her outside of this context, but perhaps some of the older listeners have. And so our coat of arms and the personification of, of Zelandia was, was remodeled to look like this American actress. That's a very interesting, I've never heard of that. I, I did not hear of that. Maybe you can help us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, maybe you can I'm make gonna, notes for us. I'm going to have to write a story about this, I guess. Now, uh, now yeah. that I've, I've I've brought it up, and it, it was yeah one of the things that I came across because I did do a little look into the code, New Zealand coat of arms a while ago, and that mm. was one of the things that I found out about one of the scandals people complained about that you know she, the Zealand is often represented as a blonde woman, but she actually yes, was originally a, a redheaded woman. Yeah, yeah, and looking at those old. Um... You know, there was obviously competitions for the design of the New Zealand coat of arms, so you could see a variation of the of the the, the designs of Zealandia as well. We actually haven't posted these, but we do have them. Uh, we do have them saved. One of the first actions that I saw you guys take was a uh, taking part of a protest against the removal of a statue, and this has actually sadly been happening in New Zealand for a few years. Uh, it started off, obviously, in the United States with BLM spread to the United Kingdom. A lot of old statues are being removed. And unfortunately, this has happened in New Zealand. The statue of Captain Hamilton in the city of Hamilton was taken down a few years ago. I wrote about it on the Right Minds blog. And even to this day, statues are being removed. So there was the statue of the weeping woman in Whanganui, which you protested against. Could you uh, give me a little bit of a background on that? I, I have connections with some people who who know people, and it was Julian Batchelor with Stopco Governance who was uh, who, who began organising this protest against the removal of our weeping woman in in Wanganui. And our weeping woman is a was a statue erected, I think, in eighteen seventy or eighteen seventy seven or eighteen sixty seven, and she was erected due to the Battle of Motor. And the, the Battle of Mo'utor was a war between the upriver Māori and the, the low river Māori. And the upriver Māori were attacking the, the, the Wanganui settlement. The reason that they wanted to do this, actually, and it was quite, it's quite interesting because the upriver Māori were the Pai Marere, or the, the Ho-Ho. And the, the Ho-Ho had a, a strange Christian cultic sect, which... Which held that I think it was the the Archangel Gabriel said to the Maori that um basically the Pakeha don't belong in, in 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 New Zealand and they need to be they need to be pushed out and so they they took that quite literally and they uh they they took to trying to push the Pakeha out of Wanganui settlement. Another interesting thing that I I noted about the um, the Ho Ho the Pai Marere Maori well it was that in their faith there was a vision. But I think it was Te Ua Haumene. He he had a vision. I think that the bullets that the the Maori were shot by by Pakeha, if the if the Maori were shot by Pakeha with bullets, the Pai Maori Maori, then the bullets wouldn't hurt them because God had their side. Apparently, <laughs> um, that obviously wasn't true in the end. As I said, the the lower river Maori were 
we'd call them loyalists to the Wanganui settlement. And they defended the Wanganui settlement. I think it was 18 casualties of the Lower River Māori and 50 casualties of the Pai Māori. And so, so basically the statue is there to commemorate the lives lost of the of those who defended the Wanganui settlement. And it says, it's engraved on the statue, it says, roughly, uh, it says the statue is dedicated to those brave men who fought in the Battle of Mautor against the, the fanatic barbarism of basically the Ho-Ho. And that was an issue to... I'm not actually sure who this was an issue to, but it was it was the fact that it was referred to as as fanatical and barbaric that the Maori wanted to to drive out Pakeha from the Wanganui settlement. It's not politically, yeah, politically incorrect language. Yeah, it was, it was politically incorrect language, and I'm not sure exactly who even said it was. Uh, who, who it was that said to the council, "Yeah, we we need to remove this." Yeah, they have but professional the, activists, professional activists, and professional protesters who want to, you know, destroy New Zealand heritage. Yeah, yeah, there's there's definitely people like that. I'm not I'm not sure to what extent this was even a protest that Maori had against the statue's removal. I think it was all a bit silly. But yeah, anyways, I organised for the protests with alongside Julian Bachelor at Stockco Governance. And I, I did the designs for these posters and, and that advertising stuff. We received quite good engagement for that, and uh, we we turned up at the protest, and it was a it was a reasonable turnout of about forty fifty people, which uh, which I was I was very happy with. We came there for a cause, and uh, we were all there. So to me, that's a that's a very good win. But I think in the end, the the council seems to say that. Despite our protests, they're, they're, I think they're going to remove it. The person who was representing the council came up on stage and and explained that the person who was supposed to be coming from the council, because she was representing the council and not from the council, the person who was coming uh, c- could not come due to reasons. And, you know, we asked her what she thought of it. Like, what, what did she think about the fact that it was being removed and what we we noticed from her explanation was that, you know, it's a oh, it's such a beautiful statue, and it's it's been carved so wonderfully. But it's not about like what it looks like and how beautifully it's carved. It's 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 certainly maybe a part of it, but the fact is that they were removing a piece of heritage or a piece of history from Wanganui, and it was very foundational to to Wanganui. Mm, absolutely. If there are listeners in. Wanganui, it's probably not too late to, to write to your council to complain about the removal of the statue of the weeping woman. And if they do get rid of it, go and have a look at it because that may be the last chance that you get if they, uh, you know, if, if the council can't be stopped. If you would like to leave feedback as well, you can text us on 2057 or send your feedback to mailbox realitycheck.radio. Send any further thoughts about this as well. I'd be happy to respond to them next week. You also sent a letter to Erica Stanford, the immigration minister, uh, which is another area of activism for you guys, I guess, is yeah. the high level of immigration into New Zealand. I've had a number of guests about that already, so I'm not asking for a lot of detail here, but perhaps you'd like to tell me, you know, a bunch of young people write to the immigration minister. How did that go down? Right. So I suppose the first thing that I'll explain here is because it's a political topic. The Zolandi Heritage Foundation is not just a 
a, uh, a publisher of New Zealand Heritage, but we also do a little bit of activism. But we're focusing on one major issue at the moment, which is immigration in New Zealand, because the, the levels of immigration in New Zealand are very, very high. Um, but we're focusing on that one thing for at least for the election cycle to to put some pressure on the the people in government, you know, the National Party and ACT and NZ First. And so for that reason, we, we, we sent a, a letter to Erica Stanford demanding an end to the disastrous immigration policy of the, of the last government and the immigration policy that might still continue. We explained to her that in the year ended September 2023, and I know William McGimsey came on not long ago to talk about this. In the year ended September 2023, it showed that New Zealand accepted a population the size of Wellington City. That's uh, over 230,000 immigrants. That's Wellington City in one year to settle across in New Zealand. And what that meant, of course, is that Kiwis fleed elsewhere. We, we went overseas. We went to Australian, Australia and it was 40,000 New Zealanders leaving. Uh, to go other places, mostly Australia. So those New Zealanders understood that they couldn't reasonably comp- compete with the immigrants in the job market. And I think there's there's another factor at play here, which is that when New Zealanders are given the option by the government, and we saw last year in the, in the Labour government where they were actually encouraging, almost encouraging New Zealanders to move to Australia, it's that you're posed with an issue and it's that if you're not going to be staying here for the economic benefits that New Zealand potentially offers you, then what are you staying here for? And I think the main thing there, at least for me and my family, is that we, we have family here and we also have ancestry and we have heritage here. If there in New Zealand is no kind of protection of our own culture and identity, especially to discern ourselves from Australians, for example, then it's going to be very, very easy for New Zealanders to move out of New Zealand and go somewhere else. What we've seen over the over the past, you know, few decades now is that it seems to us that we're we're basically being used as a we're basically being used as a, a sort of a lab rat of uh of of immigration. We can we can put all these people in New Zealand, and New Zealand's going to change from this. The culture in New Zealand's going to change for this. Zealandia Heritage Foundation is about the past, present and future, and we need to use the present right now to ensure that New Zealanders have a future and, and a culture in New Zealand, and that New Zealand is going to be recognisable by our descendants. So you mentioned New Zealand is a distinct people from, let's say, Australians, and obviously there have been many generations of Europeans living here now, mostly of English descent. Do you see yourself first and foremostly then, as a New Zealander? And, and are you seeking to foster some sense of ethnogenesis here, which is a fancy term for kind of the birth of a new people, the creation of a new people over, uh, who have lived in a particular place for several generations? That's a very, very interesting idea, the ethnogenesis thing. Uh, my ancestors on my, my paternal side go back to 1840, and then on my maternal side they go back to 1860. For me especially, what I know having this history in New Zealand or ancestry in, in New Zealand is is that this really is my home. Ancestrally, I have no place to go. If, you, if you're going to think about ethnic population in New Zealand, 
I'm not just 30% Irish and 30% English and 30% Scottish. I am 100% New Zealander. I, I have no other home than New Zealand. And when you're speaking about ethnogenesis, I, I'm assuming what you mean is that over time in New Zealand, we have these settlers that come from 100 or 200 years ago. And over time, they, they, they end up mixing like naturally, quite naturally, mm-hmm. that, that ends up happening. And what you have is, is an ethnic population that actually has no other home than, than New Zealand itself. If you're so um, ethnically diverse, and not, not everyone's going to be ethnically diverse, but they're going to have ancestors in New Zealand who really did belong here and, uh, and, and their culture was fostered here, then this is our home. And, and I suppose that kind of makes a, a New Zealand ethnicity in a sense, because that's just who, who we are and who we know ourselves to be from our, our heritage. Thank you for that. That is a, a really great explanation. And it's great to hear you feel that with your long roots that go back and you know, coming up to 200 years now. And I'd so, actually like to go back to the, the letter of to the Minister of Immigration. Uh, I went off on a, on a bit of tangent there because you mentioned ethnogenesis. But one thing that we found quite interesting is a bit of an anecdote which we can't prove, but the... The founder or the co-founder of Zealand Heritage Foundation was was uh, was out for a out for a stroll, and he walked into a, a market, and he overheard on the radio uh, that Erica Stanford was was talking about supposedly something of of a, a message or a letter that she'd received from what she what she seemed to have quoted as an extremist group. So it's uh. It, it, it's good to see that the letter to the Minister of Immigration, to, to Erica Stanford, it seems to have been received, even if she did not respond to us very rudely, but instead kind of sit it behind our backs on a, on a radio station. So thank you for responding without letting us know how <laughs> oh, we did here. We, we are listening. Yeah, unfortunately, and, and I, I've interviewed other people on my show about this, uh, I'm not sure that the National Party is very serious about reducing immigration, you know, they really just see more economic units, GDP numbers go up. That's that's how they're looking at things, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. Now you have talked about obviously your focus on New Zealand history as part of what the Zelandi Heritage Foundation is doing. Did this come from you're missing it from from the schools? Obviously you've just finished high school probably not too long ago and several of your friends would be in the same boat. Did you find that there was no New Zealand history in the schools and that's why you were looking through, digging through archives and doing your own research? From my experience, being 18 years old, just getting out of, out of high school, my experience in, in New Zealand history and learning was that it's just a very, very gruesome topic because when we're talking about New Zealand history, it is very much not about heritage or or cultural practices of New Zealanders back in the day. It really is about land wars and stuff like that. And I really do think that what we were lacking was an explanation of what the early European New Zealander looked like and what did he do and what were his practices. But what we hear is basically the European New Zealanders or the British New Zealanders came here and there were land wars and it was gruesome and there was blood and there was blood. Blood was shed. There were, there were many, many wars. 
but that is the thing that takes up all of basically um, European history in New Zealand. It's this is what you are. Uh, you come from people who basically killed killed Maori or, or kill, were killing each other, and then they're not actually explaining the little itty bitty details that that actually portray New Zealand Europe as European culture as something quite romantic. There's there's art and there's music and there's performance and there's play. There's so much more than than war, and we we just don't talk about that enough. And there's obviously the pioneer work as well that they're, they're leaving out. And I was taking my kids recently through some of the mountains and, and going through some of the old railroads. And mm-hmm. they've you know, dug, dug tunnels for kilometers by hand. And, and these people built infrastructure. They tried to tame the wilderness. Many people built very remote settlements. They underwent much adversity. They really did build the land, right? When you're driving yeah. through New Zealand, on those roads, many of these were basically initially dug out by hand. Mm. Uh, so there was a massive amount of work that went into the the blood, sweat, and tears of actually building New Zealand. Yeah, so many people don't actually understand the work that was put in, and is that you you you're probably living on a swamp right now. Yeah. Had to, you're living on a swamp, yeah. dude. I'm I'm slightly above the swamp, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> you probably li- some of you probably live in a swamp right now, but it doesn't look like a swamp because because uh, we did the mahi and we got the treats. That's right. None is an important part where I live here in South Auckland. A lot of the work to make this livable was done by the English settlers and the local Maori. They actually worked together and they they drained the swamp and yeah. they they made this area livable. Yeah. And, and again, all of that's missing from history. I find out about that now when I'm I'm trying to find a, some niche information about some historical dispute. I find out the work that people were actually doing. Yeah, I, I cover many wars on on my show as well. It's a thing that I, I enjoy learning about the the you know the warfare and history. But that's not all of history. Warfare is a small part of of history. It's such a shame that it's not something that most New Zealand children are exposed to. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on the show this morning. It was really great to get your insights into all of these uh, subjects. I think the listeners really enjoyed it, and I'm hoping they're sending positive feedback. Is there, uh, I guess I'll give you some final encouragement as well to take this very seriously. You know, you've you've done some very good looking work already. You guys are all young, so I, I do just recommend you know, don't mess around. Take it seriously as well. And people want their names and faces attached with something that they can be proud of, you know. And if, if, if it's not done well, then people will, uh, you know, they'll, they, you know, they don't want to be ashamed of being associated with you. And so this is, yeah. if you're, and it's, diff- it's more difficult when you're young. I've definitely been through this and you get older and uh, you get, you get, you, you, you realize just how important this is. But I wanted to encourage you with that as well. And then lastly, ask, if there's anything else you want to say to wrap up and just remind people of how they can actually follow your work. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Dewey. And I suppose the, the way that you can follow me and follow the work that Zealand Heritage Foundation is by searching for at Zealandia HF on, uh, on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. And I think you can find a link to our Telegram in our Twitter. And I think the other thing that I'll say is to, is to follow me at Boogie38. And the person that I'm working with is Alexander at Praise the Christ on Twitter. And 
at New Zealand Appreciator on Twitter as well. These are the people responsible for for the good work that we've been doing recently. So so give them some support. And there's also a Zealandia HF Substack that I'll mention as well, since I enjoy reading long form content and, and fly, that's what I find very valuable. Of course, yes. All right. Well, that is it. Thank you very much, Marcus. It was great to hear from you. And to all of the listeners, we will be back right after this break. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. Do you like what you're listening to or dislike what you're listening to? Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We'd love to hear from you, so connect with us today.